Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10. Sequence start. Space Nuts. Five, four, three, two. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello once again and thank you for joining us on this, the uh, Space Nuts podcast, episode 196.5. No, it's 196, but when we get halfway through, it'll be 196.5. Joining me, as always, is his good self, Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Good to talk to you again. Uh, Andrew Dunkley, broadcaster at large uh, from Dubbo. Yes, and I'm um, broadcasting from my home oh. as of this week. Uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, you've been in isolation for a bit longer than me. This is my first couple of days. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I've... What I've discovered is because I'm doing two jobs, I do the radio job and then I do the Salvation Army job. Uh, I've got both sets of computers and I've got four screens here and work <laughs> phones. It's just, it's mayhem. But I'm finding I'm more productive because uh, when I'm on the radio, I, I can't answer the phone, uh, obviously. But while I'm doing it from home and we're doing it kind of in a, um, um, a semi automatic way, which sounds bad, but it, it does work. I can answer the phone between segments, and I've been doing both jobs from six o'clock in the morning. It's bizarre, really bizarre. Uh, yeah, this, just, this just new way be, of life. Be careful who you say that to, because they might say, "Oh, he's doing two jobs at once. We'll halve his pay." That'll uh, happen anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that will happen. Now, there's certainly been an impact here uh, regarding COVID-19. Uh, my wife's um, position has uh, been frozen, so she's been stood down. So we've got to deal with that. Um, don't know how much longer my other roles will last, but we'll keep the podcast going, Fred. Yeah, it if sounds only early. to alleviate boredom. Exactly. <laughs> um, so let's uh, go through the uh, the topics of the day or the topics of the week. And uh, this uh, collaboration between Airbus and the European Space Agency looks interesting. In fact, they've uh, been successful in commissioning the CHEOPS mission, which um, we will obviously learn more about. Uh, we'll also talk about um, these medium-sized black holes because the, they were thought to exist, but we'd never seen one. Now we've discovered um, one or two, and Hubble has found the best evidence yet of mid-sized black holes. And uh, you can't get away from it. Swinburne University has a uh, COVID-19 symptom tracker. So um, I think it's a satellite that uses laser technology <laughs> to take your temperature. I don't know. We'll talk about that. Uh, and, and some questions. Um, this, this question, Fred, I think is very astute, very thought out, very, very, very clever indeed. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Chris is asking, how do comets have tails? How, not why, how? Uh, because he's, um, he's um, 
like some people, I imagine, uh, confused about the vacuum of space enabling that. And then there's this really dumb question from some loser moron wanting to know how humans would adjust, adjust to living on Mars because it's got a longer day. Mm. I wonder who that could have been. I, look, uh, he tells me, because <laughs> I talk to myself, uh, that yes. um, he was watching The Martian again the other day and oh. um, got to thinking about uh, settling on Mars and how humans would adjust long-term to having a near 24-and-a-half-hour day. Yep. So let's let's tackle that one. I think that's question of the year so far. Uh, well, it obviously is that... Uh, yes. When, when, I mean, when we start asking each other questions, then it's, it, it secretly it's a, means there's no audience. That's what that means. <laughs> exactly. I think it's telling us something. Um, but um, we we always welcome your questions, uh, dear listeners. And uh, I'm Andrew, just, I'm just hijacking the segment. Yeah, he just muscled in. That's all that's happened. Couldn't uh, help myself. <laughs> well, I do. It's the journalist in me, Fred. I can't help it. Well, it's good. It's good that you've still got that instinct, Andrew. Yes, it's there, all right. I, actually, it's a good I, I, I'll tell you what, a, um, what an instinct it is. I drove past a motel the other day and they had a big sign in the driveway, no vacancy, but there was not one car in the car park. And I thought, mm. hmm, that's got to mean something. Uh, yes. And there was two answers to the question. There's absolutely no tourism, so what's the point? Or the government's paying them to use it as an isolation ward. Mm, that's interesting. Yes, I'm still pursuing um, but yes, let's get down to business. Uh, Airbus and the European Space Agency, ESA, have yep. uh, got in bed together and they have successfully commissioned the CHEOPS mission. Now, I gather that this is uh, the first time that uh, Airbus has basically done this exclusively with ESA, something to that effect. I, I read the media release and I fell asleep several times. <laughs> So you, I think you better take over here. Well, look, um, it, so it is, uh, in a way, it's a story that um, you, you wouldn't normally talk about because it's this is a routine part of putting something into space and, uh, you know, the handover from the contractor who's put the object into space to the operator of the satellite uh, is is a formality and it's a it's a it's big news within the industry, um, maybe not so much in the wider world. But the reason why I highlighted this was because I think um, this spacecraft itself is very interesting to talk about uh, and really just celebrating uh, the in-orbit com- commissioning is just giving us an excuse to talk about it. Sure. I think it might... I'm not sure about this, Andrew, uh, but I think it might be normally pronounced Chaops. Because uh, oh, okay. it's named after a an Egyptian monarch uh, from ancient times. But it is... I grew up thinking that the... Um... The, the, the pronunciation was Cheops. But, yeah, but, it might but, be. You might be right. It could um, just I, be an Australian thing, mate. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, look, I, I, I might be doing the wrong thing by um, uh, turning it into a Greek word. But the bottom line, it didn't really matter how you say it because it's actually an acronym. Hmm. Um, I so figured can, it would have been. Yeah, so Cheops is as good as anything. Uh, but actually, maybe the acronym gives us a little bit of insight because it stands for Characterizing Exoplanet Satellite. And, of course, it's the CH in Characterizing. That, yeah, that's a switch. Uh, that's started up. <laughs> so anyway, but, and that tells you the story. Uh, the uh, the spacecraft is a venture, joint venture between ESA, the European Space Agency, and the Swiss Space Office. Uh, in fact, it originates, I think, in the University of Bern in Switzerland. I think they were the 
uh, well, in fact, they're the, 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 the Center for Space and Habitability at the University of Bern is the lead um, uh, institution for the project. Um, and the name is, you know, characterizing exoplanet satellite really tells you exactly what it's doing. Um, it's a it's a, a box about one and a half meter cubed. Uh, it has a hole in the side for a telescope. It's a 12 inch telescope, 30, 30 centimeter telescope, equipped with a very sensitive uh, image sensor. The, you know the kind of thing that we've got in our our mobile phones and our uh, and our uh, electronic cameras. This one is very very sensitive uh, to small changes in illumination. So you get an image, but each pixel of that image um, gives you a, a pretty accurate readout of how much light is falling on it. Mm. So, and that's the whole point. So what the mission is about is to uh, observe uh, stars which are known to have planets going around them. Uh, and not only that, these planets are ones that transit across the face of their parent stars. So, uh, for example, stars that have been discovered by the, uh, the Kepler mission to have planets or stars that have been discovered by the TESS mission, the current one, uh, to have planets. These are uh, the candidates for further examination by CHAOPS. And the, um, you know, the, the, the idea is that those transits of the planets in front of the star will be observed in very fine detail uh, and um, uh, with with sort of microscopic precision, if I can put it that way. Uh, and so the, um, the, 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 the mission is all about making accurate measurements of the diameter of these planets, because that's what you can get from yes. these dips in brightness uh, and to make as accurate a measurement as possible for each of these planets as it transits regularly across its parent star and then to combine that with data from the Doppler wobble technique this famous method where you look for the wobbling of the star as, as it's pulled slightly out of position by the planet orbiting around it because from that you can get the mass of a planet uh, if you've got the diameter of a planet and its mass then you can get an accurate uh, estimate of its density and that gives you a clue as to what it's made of mm. so chaos is specifically targeting planets in the range earth to neptune size and that's a, a really interesting region because earth is a rocky planet neptune's a gas giant um uh, you know what where's the where's the delineation between them uh how many of these uh, exoplanets is one or the other so that's do, the do idea we know theoretically how big a rocky planet could be before it's not capable of being a rocky planet <laughs> well that's you know right I mean. yeah i think that's true i think the planetary you know the um, planetary science specialists uh, do have insights into that uh, because if it gets i don't know uh, you know it 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 depends um very much on where abouts in a in a planetary system it's formed, and, mm. the, and the rule is pretty well what we see in our own solar system. You t tend to find the rocky planets formed uh, it, uh, nearer the the parent star, gas giants further out beyond what we call the ice line, uh, where you know the, the where ices can condense out or, or freeze out. Um, but we also know that planets move around in their orbits. Uh, you know they might start off in one orbit and end up in another. So there's all this stuff goes into the mix and uh, having measurements of the density of, uh, of a, a wide selection of, of stars um, or planets around stars, I think is going to be a very valuable tool when CHAOPS completes its mission, which I think is, uh, is 
uh, about three and a half years, if I remember rightly, the, the mission length. Um, so we, we should see interesting things coming from it. And just returning to the, you know, the, the excuse for running this story. Yes, uh, Airbus uh, was the agent, was the uh, company that um, uh, basically put the spacecraft into orbit and has done the in-orbit commissioning. And I assume that what's happening now is that um, the, uh, the the control of, uh, of CHAOPS will be handed over to ESA and, uh, and the uh, Swiss Science Space Agency. I believe their Science Operations Center is at the University of Geneva. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that yeah, so it's a really interesting mission coming from the Swiss, and uh, we look forward to hearing some of the results from it. Yes, indeed. I mean, if they are able to get much more detail about exoplanets, it uh, stands to reason we may be able to learn um, about the, let's call it physiology of some of these worlds, and maybe even see whether or not some of them are capable of sustaining life. Helpful. Yeah, exactly. It's all adding to our store of knowledge about, uh, you know, this whole new regime uh, of, of planets around other stars, which was unthinkable 20 years ago. Yes, yes. And now it's uh, the numbers are just growing day by yeah. day by day. It's, uh, yeah. it's fascinating. All right, we'll keep an eye on that one. You're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Space nuts. Now, Fred, uh, saying hello to our patrons, and we've got a Patreon question to answer later on, which you can hear as bonus material on our Patreon site, patreon.com slash space nuts. And if you would like to join uh, the Space Nuts Patreon fraternity, you can do so at that site. Uh, for as little as $3 a month, uh, but you can set your own limit. And uh, we do, as always, want to say thank you to our patrons for supporting the podcast financially. It's not essential. We're absolutely not saying you have to, but if you want to, that is uh, wonderful and uh, totally up to you. But uh, patreon.com slash space nuts if you'd like to inject uh, a couple of dollars into the uh, maintenance of the Space Nuts podcast. Now, Fred, um, we, we've talked about this before. Our, our timing couldn't have been better. We, we once uh, did a segment talking about the fact that there are tiny black holes and massive black holes, but nothing in the middle. And then the week after that, we went, well, we've found one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it really did happen that way. Um, yeah. And now Hubble has found the best evidence yet of a mid-sized black hole. This is exciting. Yes, it is. Uh, You're absolutely right, you know, to highlight this, uh, the gap, um, the missing link, as it were. Uh, We see black holes that are not much more massive than the sun, up to maybe 20 or 30 uh, solar masses. They're the the debris of uh, or the remnants of giant stars that exploded in supernova explosions and the core collapses uh, to a black hole uh, because uh, it's got too much mass in it for uh, the you know the outward pressure of the atoms to resist it and the whole thing collapses and you've got a black hole so that that's what we call stellar mass black holes because it's the mass roughly of a star and then at the other end of the spectrum are these absolute monsters, the behemoths yeah. uh, of, uh, of the black hole world, um, which we find at the centres of galaxies, possibly at the centre of all galaxies. Uh, so these have mass ranges 
uh, in the millions to billions of solar masses. It's uh, I think it's 4.1 million solar masses is the the mass of the the one at the centre of our own galaxy that we see manifested in radio radiation with the glorious name of Sagittarius A star. That's the radio source yeah. at the centre of the galaxy. So uh, the the puzzle has always been. Um, first of all, why don't we see anything in between them? Mm. And secondly, how do these big supermassive black holes get so big? Um, because that's not easy to understand. Well, you know, if you look back to the early history of galaxies, maybe 12 or 13 billion years ago, uh, were there set supermassive black holes then around which the galaxy formed? Or were the galaxies and the black holes... Uh, growing at the same time, uh, and in fact, it's that's that's the picture I think that we we have of the way these things work. So this story actually goes back to X-ray telescopes, um, the Chandra X-ray Observatory, which is a NASA orbiting spacecraft, and the European Space Agency. They have something called XMM Newton. Uh, I, I always wondered what XMM stood for, but it's X-ray Multi Mirror Mission, which means it, it should be XMMM. I would have. <laughs> I would have thought so. <laughs> yeah. Um, XM- <laughs> Maybe that was it. Yeah, too many M's. Uh, so uh, XMM Newton is um, it, it is a, a you know uh, it's a high efficiency X-ray telescope and optical monitor, all of the fancy stuff. So so what you're looking for is a is an X-ray flare that has specific characteristics that suggest it might have come from uh, a, a one of these intermediate mass black holes, as they're technically called. Yeah. Um, and uh, the group of scientists who've been uh, carrying out this study, uh, if I remember rightly, they're, they're based uh, at NASA. Actually, it's a good point. Uh, actually, no, there's um, there's a European content. One of the team members is Natalie Webb of the Université de Toulouse, uh, which is in France. Uh, so um, a, an international group. Um, they looked for the flares and they found one, uh, something that looked as though it might have come from uh, an intermediate mass black hole because of the, the sort of profile of the flare, the, 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 the spectrum of the flare, things of that sort. Mm. So how do you prove it? And what they did was they uh, ha- applied for some time on the Hubble Space Telescope uh, because they uh, th- these two uh, X-ray observatories, or the, the one that had produced this flare or revealed this flare, actually had a fairly precise position for it. And so you can use the Hubble then to home in on the origin of the X-flare, X-ray flare. And it turns out to, to come from a star cluster around a distant galaxy. Um, it's a galaxy, I, I, I don't have its uh, distance to hand, um, but it is clearly a, a galaxy whose distance is measured in billions of light years. It's a long way away. It's, and uh, like, it's a galaxy far, far away, Fred. That, that's uh, uh, the technical term. That's absolutely yes. right. Uh, it, it is, um, but like uh, many galaxies, it has an entourage of these what are called globular clusters. We've got about 100 mm. in orbit around our own Milky Way galaxy. They're clusters of stars, uh, tens to hundreds of thousands of stars in each globular cluster. And we think that they're the remnants of the the cores of dwarf galaxies that have been kind of stripped of their outer stars 
by the gravitational pull of our own galaxy uh, or, you know, the parent galaxy, the galaxy that, that these things are going around. So um, that is where the flare came from. And the fact that it's located in one of these uh, stripped down cores of a dwarf galaxy tends to support the picture that they actually consider that to be the, the clinching piece of evidence that what we found is a flare coming from an intermediate black hole. Uh, because it's, as I said, it's commonly thought that these globular clusters are the, the, the cause of stripped down dwarf galaxies, uh, but they also might well be the um, perhaps the what kind of put it the, the food on which a supermassive black hole feeds. In other words, an intermediate mass black hole in a in a globular cluster might eventually wind up being accreted or absorbed by the black hole at the centre of the galaxy, uh, causing it to grow even bigger. And so the the picture is that that's how supermassive black holes have grown by swallowing up the black holes associated with these dwarf galaxies. Sorry, Andrew, you're going to say something. I was going to say, so could that explain why medium-sized black holes are proving difficult to find because they've been consumed? They've all been consumed, that's right, yeah. Um, And, you know, what it suggests is the the heart of, uh, of, of globular clusters are good places to look for intermediate mass black holes. Uh, Now, as I mentioned, there's 100 in orbit around our own galaxy. We know that they are, the stars in them are the most, uh, among the most ancient stars in in the galaxy. Um, They're they're very old. Um, There's no, because these things orbit around, not not in the plane or the disk of the galaxy. They orbit around the galactic centre, but at all kinds of weird and wonderful angles, which tells you that they are they belong to what we call the galaxy's halo. Um, so these things orbiting around, because of where they are, there's no residual hydrogen gas there. That's all been gobbled up. Um, most of the, the gas is in the disk of the galaxy. And that's why um, we don't... It might be why we don't often see... Uh, a flare coming from uh, the black hole in one of these things because there's no gas there. Mm. Uh, you've got to rely on a passing star falling in to get the flare. Ah. And that's quite a, quite a rare event. Uh, so, yes, it all feeds into a bigger picture that suggests that that is how, as, exactly as you said, how supermassive black holes grow by gobbling up smaller ones. Okay. Um, no doubt there'll be more to learn from this, and we will um, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, I, I imagine we'll get questions. Fred, people are fascinated by black holes, and Indeed. every time we talk about them, the questions just cascade in. Which is fine. I, that's what it's all about. We're happy to throw that all on Fred. I'll just sit here and smile. <laughs> now, Fred. Well, you've um, got a nice smile, Andrew. I have to say, it's thank pretty you. Yes. This can't see that. It was my birthday this week, by the way. Oh, many um, happy returns. Thank you. Uh, I've got to tell you this lovely little story. I, I don't usually talk about my birthday, but um, my grandson, who is five, uh, was with his grandmother the other day because we're, we're keeping our circle of people down to Judy, myself. My son, my daughter-in-law and the three grandchildren and that's it. We're not seeing anyone else. Um, Judy asked uh, Nathaniel um, if he knew it was going to be my birthday tomorrow. So this happened on Monday. And he said, I am aware. (laughs) (laughs) And then she said, and how old will Poppy be? And he said, 16. 
Judy said, no, <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's going to be 58. What comes after 58? He said, I don't know. And Judy <laughs> said, 59. And then he went, and then he'll be 100. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Fred. No, he didn't say that. That's <laughs> you fixed. <laughs> oh, I was so cute. Uh, yeah, yeah kid, nice. kids are fantastic. Now let's moving uh, move on to something not so fantastic. COVID nineteen. Uh, we wanted to briefly talk about this one. Um, there's a symptom tracker that has been created by Swinburne University, from what I can tell. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, so. Uh, we, you might wonder why we're talking about this on a Space Nuts podcast, but uh, this is the. Um, hang on a moment. Let me. Uh, I can't do that. Live radio, yeah. folks. That's yeah, sorry. That was, that, that's all right. I, I've got. I've got you back, Andrew. I, I just went into presentation that I was doing last night in the webinar, ah. uh, the, the cosmic cosmic relief webinar, because I wanted to to see the image that I put in there, which has all my um, cheat information on the, on the symptom tracker. It's called preparation, so, Fred. That's what it is. Preparation. preparation slightly too late. So um, the. There's a, um, a public health group uh, or facility, faculty, sorry, at Swinburne University. This is Swinburne University of Technology in Melbourne. Um, but they have also a very strong astrophysics and uh, astronomical data computing facility. And what's happened is these two groups have got together and used um, – that they've devised this symptom tracker, which is not a satellite <laughs> measuring your temperature, despite what you were saying earlier, Andrew. Well, it's it a questionnaire. A <laughs> it's an online questionnaire, and you can just click on it, and it asks you, um, you know, a few really simple questions. Basically, how are you feeling? Are you too hot or too cold? Or what's happening? Have you got any symptoms? So I could click on that right now. You ah. can. It's called beatcovid19now.org. That's the that's the link. Okay. Um, but what I was going to say is that... Oh, see, uh, I'm, I'm stopping right now. First question, what is your age? <laughs> Where's the none of your business button? <laughs> it's 100 years old. Your grandson told you. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that'll, that'll be next year. Um, so... It's uh, it's what they do with the data that has the astronomical connection because it's uh, they, they're using astronomical algorithms that you know the statistical uh, algorithms that we use in astrophysics, which are often uh, trying to glean information from really disparate data and uh, you know t essentially tease out the, the fine details. And so the idea with the symptom tracker is to, to do that, to look at where, uh, you know, where these uh, hotspots might be, where people might be uh, in, a, in an area that has more, uh, out, uh, more um, people suffering from COVID-19, the disease, uh, than, um, than elsewhere. So it's called, as, you, as we've just said, beatcovid19now.org. That's how you can find it. And uh, I think I'm sure Swinburne University of Technology will be great if you were part participating. In it. Yeah, I'm doing it right now. I'm, I'm clicking through all the symptoms. You can probably hear me clicking away. I've nearly finished. Um, there you go. Um, since this time yesterday, time. have you had difficulty getting out of bed? Strangely enough, no. Leaving home, no. <laughs> it's um, preparing meals. I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I I will finish this off because. Um, it's oh that's yeah that's a big question I'll get back to that later but uh, it's really quite simple it's a good idea yeah, so far cool. uh, over fourteen thousand people have completed the symptom tracker yeah yeah so it's 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 taking off which is great yes 
uh, we need to get. I mean, so for I'm not part of this at all, but um, I think for the for the, uh, the 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 team to get the best results from it and the most useful results in terms of uh, public health and planning and things like that, you really need the the maximum number of people to to engage with it. So yeah. it's a question of getting the message out, which is why I'm talking about it today, Andrew. And I'm very impressed that you can multitask to that level. Do a questionnaire while you're talking to me. Yep, and the URL is beatcovid19now.org. Indeed, it is. It is. All right. You're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and, of course, Professor Fred Watson. Zero G and I feel fine. Space Nuts. Hello to all our Facebook followers. Uh, the numbers continue to grow as they do on YouTube. We've got um, 1,160 followers on YouTube now. If you'd like to follow us on YouTube, subscribe at youtube.com slash c slash space nuts. Uh, the Space Nuts podcast group is doing very well on Facebook as well, and I've, I, I occasionally pop my head in there. Sometimes people actually uh, use my name in their statements to get my attention, and that happened yesterday, Fred, with a little bit of a debate over a word I used on the cover of my new book, <laughs> The Tyrannian Enigma. Oh, hang on, I'll just grab it. Oh, I kicked yep. the bucket. Uh, here we go. Uh, so on the front of the book, it says, the last survivors of an extragalactic civilization arrive in Tyrannian space seeking a new home, but instead they face the threat of total annihilation. Now, at first I thought there was an argument over the spelling of annihilation, but it seems the issue is that it's a noun being used as an adjective or an adjective being used as a noun. I can't remember which, but you know what? I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. I like it. I don't want to change it. And... Um, yeah. If you knew what a nightmare it was going to be to just change one word, you would. It's okay, it. Andrew. It's um, it's grammatically correct. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I would take that. I would take that as gospel from an Englishman. Uh, <laughs> of course, that's right. Yes. The, the, the ultimate authority in the English language. Indeed, <laughs> rather. Now let's uh, let's get on to some questions, and we have one here from Chris. I, I love this question for two reasons. Chris is asking us a fascinating question, but he also works for NASA. Yay! It's, I told you they listened to us. I told you they did. <laughs> well, Chris does. Yes. But I'm sure he just um, yeah, puts it out on Bluetooth to every department for us. I'm certain. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, a question for Space Nuts. Hi, my name is Chris. I work at uh, MSFC NASA, but don't get Ma your hopes up. Marshall, Spa Marshall Space Flight Centre. Okay. Uh, but don't yeah. get your hopes up. I work in facilities. We do building uh, automation and energy management. It sounds exciting to me. I don't know why he thinks it's mundane and boring. You <laughs> should try my job. Um, now, he wants to know, how do comets and or asteroids have tails? How, not why? Uh, space is a vacuum, right? So what causes resistance to make it or them have a tail? Is it just from the outstanding speed or what? If this isn't uh, good enough for your show, I understand maybe you could just give me a short answer on Facebook. No, it is, it is more than it. No, it's adequate, Chris. It's adequate for face, for, for, uh, space nuts. We, no, we were actually uh, thrilled with the question. So um, he, um, yeah, there you go. We're going to ask it. And and he finishes his uh, little note by saying, anyway, love the show. Live long and prosper. <laughs> we'll do our best. That's the plan. Yeah, that's Although the plan. Thanks, thanks, Chris. It's getting harder. Um, and, but, um, and yes. It, it, yeah, well, it's getting harder, that's right. Mm. But we're, it's getting harder to prosper, but living long is something that I hope we both achieve. Yes. <clears throat> Especially as you turn 100 the year after next, that'll be good. <laughs> Apparently I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
so uh, it's a great question too because we think of things, you know, um, you know like a meteor which uh, hits the atmosphere, burns up, and leaves a tail behind it. That's exactly what they do. Um, sometimes a bright fireball leaves a tail that can last for quite a while, um, but. The, the physical conditions are a little bit different in space. And um, it, I guess the, the, the main issue is whether space is a vacuum or not. Well, it is. Uh, it's certainly the, the average pressure in space is much lower than anything we, we can achieve artificially on Earth. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's empty uh, because there's, uh, you know, a whole lot of stuff going through space, including radiation, light and uh, and, and heat, uh, infrared, radio waves, they're all traveling through space. But more especially, there are subatomic particles traveling through space. And um, that's one of the things that comets interact with as they, uh, as they get near the sun. So a comet is this kind of iceberg mountain range uh, sized uh, iceberg, although it's, I, I, I suspect they're, they're much fluffier than icebergs. They're not as strongly bound together, but there's a lot of dust in there. So when they feel the radiation of the sun, and this is really just the the heat and um, you know ultraviolet, things like that. Uh, so the electromagnetic radiation that evaporates the ice. It, in fact, it sublimes, it goes straight from a solid to a, a gas. Uh, it's excited by the subatomic particles of the solar wind, and so it turns into a plasma. And that's uh, why we see the, the gas tail of a comet, uh, why it glows. And uh, it basically is, it, it's not necessarily streaming behind the, the comet, like the tail of a meteor, uh, because uh, it the tail is always emitted in the opposite direction to the sun. And you can imagine that as a comet swings around the sun, that direction is changing very rapidly, uh, particularly as it goes past the sun, it, that direction changes. And so this, this gas tail uh, evaporates from the comet and actually usually gets a curvature because um, of, of the fact that it is moving around uh, you know, moving around past the sun. So that's what we were talking about, Andrew, not very long ago. You and I talked about Comet McNaught, mm. which had this spectacular curved tail oh, uh, in early 2007. So uh, that's the gas tail. But the dust also forms a tail. Now, this is a tail uh, which is just streaming out behind the comet, and that is illuminated by the sun's light it's uh, akin to what we call the zodiacal light which is the dust of the of the solar system being lit by sunlight uh, and so the dust tail and the gas tail are often separate they're, they're often two of them they're slightly different colors uh, and um, really it's just the dust tail that's in in a sense in effect streaming out behind the comet although once again it's moved by the radiation pressure from the sun that dust tail is kind of shepherded in in a direction uh, more or less opposite the sun but is separate from the gas tail mm. so there's some complicated physics there um, and chris is right to highlight it you know the mechanisms of comets tails are a pretty interesting stuff uh, and of course uh, as astrophysicists we can learn a lot about the comet uh, from observing them so yeah. thank you very much and keep up the good work at Marshall Space Flight Centre, Chris. Indeed. Thank you for getting in touch with us. And, of course, uh, we look forward to the Naked Eye Comet, uh, <laughs> Comet Atlas in May, fingers crossed. Yes, fingers crossed, but Northern Hemisphere only. Ah, well, I'll get, I'll get to see photos.
<laughs> well, we got yeah. the last really good one, so I suppose it stands out. Yeah, that's right. It's only fair. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, uh, moving on, uh, this uh, oh, rather questionable question from a questionable individual. Um, I don't know why I'm reading it to you because I know exactly what it is. Uh, and I just watched uh, the movie The Martian the other day. Judy and I love that movie. Uh, I think we've watched it three or four or five or six times now. And it got me wondering about uh, The Martian Day, uh, or One Soul, as they call it, uh, which is around 40 minutes longer than an Earth Day, uh, give or take. Uh, so I wondered if humans uh, settling on Mars, if that ever happened, uh, would easily adjust to the extra 40 minutes per day in terms of their circadian rhythm. Uh, because we, we have grown up on this planet, we have evolved on this planet over thousands and thousands of years, and we are used to what a day is here. Uh, all of a sudden being thrust onto another world where the time changes rather dramatically in real terms, would it eventually become a grind for human uh, beings on another planet like Mars? It's a it's a complicated answer. Um, oh, yes, um, uh, it's a kind of yes and no answer. <laughs> and and what I was going to say, um, I remember reading some years ago that uh, the rover operators on Mars, uh, and particularly with Spirit and Opportunity, the, the the two that were there from 2003 onwards, and now we've got Curiosity from 2012. Soon we'll have Perseverance. Mm. Uh, Mars. But I remember reading that those operators actually uh, work on a Martian day, which, of course, is called a sol um, yes. to distinguish it from from a, an Earth day. And it is roughly 20, uh, 24 hours, 40 minutes. Um, and but I checked up on that uh, while we were waiting to, to get together a little while ago, because I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't talking rubbish. And indeed, it's not quite rubbish that I was talking, but um, it's, it's not the case that these operators actually work on Martian days. What happened was, I think, uh, for uh, Spirit and no, uh, let me just check. No, Mars Pathfinder. Oh, yes. Which, that was feature, the which actually features in The Martian. There you go. It does. Yes, that's mm. right. So um, the idea with the uh, Mars Path Pathfinder was that the uh, operators would uh, keep um, Mars time. They'd keep the souls, um, basically. And uh, the plan was to do that for the first three months of the mission. Um, but they only lasted uh, a, a month uh, because the... Uh, the, the, it was just too hard uh, to uh, to work. Not, not not so much too hard to work on Mars time. The problem was getting completely out of sync with Earth time. Yes, I can imagine. Uh, that, well, it wouldn't take that, long, and it doesn't take very long. That's right. It's only a few days, and you you, you know you're several hours out. out of sync. Yeah, uh, and um, in, in fact, um, by by the end of if he if he did do it for three months. Um, by the end of that, the Earth's two and a half days ahead of you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in terms of your days and nights. And this was the difficulty. I think uh, I'm right in saying uh, that with Spirit and Opportunity, they did manage to uh, keep going for um, basically for that, that first three months. Um, the, way, um, the way to do it proper, properly would be to be closed off from... Yes, exactly. Completely. Which is what you'd be if you're on Mars. Yes. Indeed. So the the idea of you know the circadian rhythms 
being extended to, uh, to, to, to basically accommodate that. I think that is okay because that's, it's similar to jet lag, basically. Yeah, that's what um, I was thinking. Um, but uh, to do it while you're in an Earth environment, I think that's the challenge. And so I would have been wrong in saying, yes, these rover drivers all keep Mars time because they don't. Mm. Uh, but they, 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 they might do for a period. In fact, we, you know, it'd be interesting to see when, um, when uh, Perseverance lands on Mars next February. Uh, it would be really interesting to see what the situation is do the do the rover drivers actually stick to mars time to souls rather than days for the first uh, patch of uh, of exploration or what happens we we can we can track that uh, andrew because uh, that's something you and i can talk about yes. um, i i would like to point you though to uh, a really good source on this which is an article published back in february 2015 by a journalist called, and I'm going to struggle with the pronunciation of his name, but I think it's Kamilevsky. Kamilevsky, it's C-H-M-I-E-L-E-W-S-K-I. And it's, it was published in The Atlantic, which is, um, you know, one of these reputable online sites. Uh, it is called, and probably the best way to Google it, to, to find it is to, to Google it or, or use your favourite search engine. The title is Jet Lag is Worse on Mars. Ah. So if you follow that link, Jet Lag is Worse on Mars, uh, read the article. It's full of detail and it's very, very interesting. All right. I'm doing a search for it right now so I don't forget to do it. Yeah. And there it is straight yeah. up. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Well, that answers my question. And it does. <laughs> thank you, Fred. I appreciate thank you. that. That's a great question, Andrew, and I'm glad you asked it because I was under a misconception there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we've all learned something. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that pretty well wraps us up. Before we go, though, um, don't forget to visit the Space Nuts shop at bytes.com slash space nuts. That's B-I-T-E-S-Z dot com slash space nuts. I think all these links are on our show notes at bytes.com slash space nuts. That doesn't. That's counterproductive, isn't it? But um, uh, you can scroll around on there. You can listen to all our episodes through our website. It ain't the prettiest website in the world, but you know, it's, it's not the prettiest podcast in the world. It's adequate, Fred. <laughs> adequate. Uh, there are links to um, a, a whole bunch of books and a big, big link to this really, really weird one with grammatical problems. So yes. have a look at that. Uh, plus our, uh, our bits and pieces. Uh, I noticed the polo shirts haven't uh, popped up yet, but uh, apparently we've got the logo sorted out, so we should be ready to roll soon on that and some caps and I don't know what else. I think we're talking stickers too, My uh, God. which would be nice. So I'm, into this. I haven't seen any of this stuff, Andrew. I should have a look at it, shouldn't once, I? Once you get stickers, it's you know things are serious, Fred. Yes, they are. Stickers yeah. make everything Deadly serious. It's just a joke until you get stickers. Mm. I think but, it might still be a joke after this. <laughs> uh, but thank you to everybody for listening and thank you for your contributions. Keep your cards and letters rolling in. And thank you, Fred. As always, it's been a great pleasure. Good to talk to you, Andrew. Look forward to the next time. We'll see you next week. See you later. Now, where, where was I up to with this beat COVID-19 and postcode? <laughs> oh, gosh. They want to know everything, Fred. They want to know everything. Space Nuts. You'll be listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.